episode 52 of Unlicensed Entertainment. I am your host, Carl Enner, and hold on, I'm just doing something weird. Okay, uh, that's a great introduction. Nope, but I don't edit on here. Okay. Uh, this is an entertainment show. Uh, we don't do gossip entertainment, but we do, do the stories that people care about that isn't that kind of stuff, because I don't care who Kim Kardashian is sleeping with. That's not this kind of show. Uh, welcome to the show, my great friend, Lisa Bryan. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank, I, th- I, I feel bad this is my first episode. I know. it's Well, I mean, I, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. I, I had an idea uh, months ago to have you on, but things have been a little bit crazy for you, and I'm not something we're going to go on here. But uh, <laughs> but your personal life is messing up my plans. I'm so sorry. That's why we're doing it over Zoom now. Yeah, yeah, because your personal life is also messing up my plans again. (laughs) What's funny is if you had me on in like three weeks, well, I I had to do it over Zoom in three weeks, but uh, yeah, just the timing of it, it's it's perfect. It's it's exactly the narrative of my life. Yeah. But we've been friends for, I think, something like 15 years or something, something along those lines. Yeah, 15 or 16. 15, 16 2006. years. You uh, used to yeah. do tech for uh, the comedy group that I was a part of. But the thing I mainly yeah. wanted to have you on here, because I've had my comedy friends on here, and I've asked them, why did you get into comedy? And they all have similar answers. They wanted attention as children. I thought you would have right. a different perspective. Because you are not, although you are a very funny person, you are not a comedian. You are not do not want to be a comedian. That's not is that accurate. Stage, no. is, that, is that accurate? Right. Okay. I have no, I have no aspirations for uh, being in front of an audience and the stage. So yeah, no. Because you, because your parents, <laughs> you know the, the, your parents gave you the attention you wanted, and so you don't need that. Mm, what, uh, no, but I manifested in a different way. Oh, okay, so what you do <laughs> is that you became, you were my only friend that's like a heavy writer. You want to make it in the writing and business, right? I do, I do as best I can. So, so for me, it was less about be. It was more about I got attention, but I was never understood. Okay. And that's um, I was. I think the reason I didn't go into like stage or performance when a lot of my friends did under the same circumstances is that um, I have ADHD and I wasn't diagnosed until I was an adult. But as a child, it manifested in me just talking a lot, like a lot. I was a little chatterbox. And I got the impression from all of the adults and my parents that like, oh, you talk too much. <laughs> so I started to like shut that down internally. And the way I expressed myself eventually was that it manifested into me writing down my thoughts because brain to fingers work better than brain to mouth. I did not expect a semi-sad answer about that. <laughs> I thought it was just like, you know, I, I read some, I read Lord of the Rings and it really spoke to me. And so I started writing down my own worlds. No? Nope. That's not how my writing started. My writing started, that's the, that's the emotional answer. My writing, like, I actually started writing when I was like a preteen. And I was doing, um, back in the, in the early days of the internet, we're talking like Yahoo groups. Uh, like 1998, 99. And I, my first thing I ever remember truly like writing and coming up with a story for was Sailor Moon fan fiction. Sailor Moon fan. So you started fan fiction. Oh my gosh. So you took, uh, in case anyone here doesn't know what fanfic is, which I, this might be condescending. Uh, it's when you take a popular thing that already exists and use already existing characters, make up your own stories, and move in directions that maybe the the show wouldn't go or would go. 
depending on where you want to go with it. Some people go very uh, erotic with it. Some people just go like, here's another right. episode of Sailor Moon. You never know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping if you're a little Me, kid, didn't start off with the erotic. And yeah, I was 13, so probably not. Um, no, what I remember, and especially I think with Sailor Moon in particular, it was a lot of coming up with an original character, and it always bothered me, and it kind of does this day, and I know I'll get maybe corrections, but that there's no Sailor Earth. There is a Sailor Moon, but there is no, like, Sailor Gaia or Earth, and that bothered me as a 13-year-old, so I came up with Sailor Earth. Okay. <laughs> and I wrote it. That was my first, I don't remember anything about the story. I just remember that I was like so fixated on that point that I had to like write it. Um, and then I went into, as I got older, there was Buffy fanfiction. Okay. Yeah, I remember that's one of your that big things. I, I first knew about you is yeah. that you were into Buffy. Yeah, that's where I started really like the Sailor Earth stuff was like a 13 year old just coming up with like little scenes or whatever, but. My Buffy stuff was actual stories from beginning to end. Like, I came up with, like, a beginning, a middle, and an end. That was, like, the first real, like, story. Like, from a storytelling perspective, like, that I wrote, that I can remember. Maybe it did stuff when I was way younger, but I think it really didn't really peak until the internet, honestly. Did you, uh, because, like, I also, this might sound weird to you, I also Ooh. wanted to, sorry, I was trying to change something without doing noise. Uh, I wanted to, uh, I had a period where I wanted to be a writer as well, because I kind of wanted to be a jack of all trades. I wanted to be a writer, director, uh, you know. Writer I wanted, sounds mad. Well, yeah, I wanted to be everything. So I tried yeah. writing stuff. Uh, the the first ever guys I wrote a play that actually got performed in my high school, because I wrote a, I wrote a monologue that teaches like, hey, if you can write a whole play around this character that you wrote that you created, I'll let you put on a play. So I wrote a play. Mixed results because of my co-writer, but like I did that. Otherwise, I never finished anything. I ever tried. I started several novels that never got finished. Are you Ooh. actually able to finish things? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm getting there. Okay. Uh, I've never. That's that's the thing about ADHD too. Is you don't quite finish up. I have actually finished. Um, I finished drafts, but I've okay. never like gotten it to I want people to read my book from beginning middle and end I, I, I did a national novel writing month successfully once whereas you have to write 50,000 words in a month and I did it that's like something they do in November right it's like a yearly yeah. thing in November yeah my brother does that yeah it is tough because that's like my birthday month there's Thanksgiving um, there was always the, uh, the improv cup that always threw me off no longer but there was one year that I was working a really shitty job and I could write it where, well, I couldn't, I wasn't, I shouldn't have been, but I did. I wrote for like three, four hours at work a day. And that's how I managed to pull it off. <laughs> I don't think uh, there's anything wrong with it. Year. I think so many companies just oh. uh, use people up and like overwork them and treat them like crap. Don't pay them enough. I <laughs> think, I think uh, you can get, if you can find some time to do some stuff for yourself there, fuck those places. I was severely underpaid at that job, so I don't feel bad. Yeah. Like, I never felt bad about it. Good. And not to this day. Good. Fuck that job. It's terrible. Um, but I am, it's been a lot of overcoming, like, my own personal issues in regards to finishing the draft. 
uh, getting finally getting my ADHD diagnosis and medication, uh, working on my depression, because um, that stuff really like slows me down um, and makes it hard to focus and want to. I want to jump from project to project. Like this yeah. is losing a shiny. I got to go to the other one. So you just never finish anything. I can also um, see uh, just being hard to show because part of being a writer is you have to show your work to other people. You know, if I'm on stage, I'm with other people. There's an audience. They're gonna. I'm gonna get instant thought whether I like it or not. People are gonna see me. But if you're writing it down, it's very personal. It's all you. Like, it's not depending on anyone yeah. else but you. So it's very much burying yourself. No matter what you're writing, you're burying yourself to other people. That's yeah. got to be hard. It's, it, it, it is. Especially as I get older and look back on my writing from when I was younger and go like, oh, oh, I put a lot of, like, my own personal emotions and feelings and people I know and, like, characteristics and, like, traumas and all that into my work so revealing it to people is a thing yeah <laughs> it's definitely a thing and that's why i like to um like the good thing and i always recommend writers at least get one or two critique partners or like alpha like other writer friends like writing is a solo endeavor as far as you're the only one who's sitting at the computer typing it down but i think there's this like miss uh, representation of writers where we're all like huddled in caves and we don't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. I only really started growing as a writer in the past three or four years by making like writer friends. Um, and not only that, but they, they became like my actual personal friends that I talk to every day and they're like people I love. And I, I trust them with my stories. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like I can write something and then like I can show them and I get the instant gratification of like oh, sweet, I wrote something and someone read it and they enjoyed it. And I don't, I feel, as I get older, I feel less and less, like, nervous about sharing that side of me with other people. I'm actually, you just get used to it. It's like, yeah. you know, overcoming stage fright, you know? Once you get past that hurdle of, oh, people read my stuff and they actually like it? Oh, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep trying. <laughs> now, I'm not saying this as a way of being insulting or all. I've never read your work, so it's not like that. But I haven't shared it. With a lot of people, so that's not I, I want to know, it's how fun. do you take criticism? Because I'm assuming no matter what, people are going to have thoughts about your work, positive and negative. I'm not saying it's mostly negative, but I'm saying it probably happens. How do you take that when someone says, this this works, but I wasn't really into that? Um, That also comes from having a, a group of people you trust with their opinions. Yeah. And that you can also like have a conversation with. Like, you can... You'd be like, hey, like, I, I don't, like, and knowing that they're not coming from a place of, like, this sucks, right? Yeah. They're actually trying to help you. Yes. If you, like, if you know that the person is trying to help you, taking criticism from them is infinitely easier than if it's just a stranger who's doing it. Well, also, I feel like, it, you're right, it has to be someone you trust their opinion of. Like, if there's some dumbass yeah. that, like, hangs out in your group, but you don't like them, but like, yeah, sure, I'll read your book. Uh, I don't like that the, your women wear too much clothes. You're like, I don't want to take your opinion. Yeah, all right, bye. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. if you get someone you trust their sensibilities, and, they're going to mean something more. Right. And the other thing is also having more than one person read your stuff is if that issue that they bring up, someone else brings up, then it's an issue, right? Yes. Like, oh, more than one person noticed that this is a weird thing. I have to figure out what's wrong or I have to rework it and make it work. Like, that's... That's another way to do it. Like I, 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 I think every writer says they're like, oh, I'm immune to criticism, but no one is. No. Like it, it's just working with, it's just making it work for you. 
um, and knowing when to take it and when to be like, thanks for your input. Yeah. Just toss it out. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> now, would you, how would you. That's how I deal with it. How would you describe your work to other people? Like uh, what genre, influences, stuff like that? So I am like 99%. I mean, it's all fantasy in its different aspects because I've written, I've, um, I've written urban fantasy and I'm working on epic fantasy. And then there's like, there's so many subgenres of fantasy to say like, I'm a fantasy writer is like, you got to get a little more specific than that because you know, you have, you, you can take two different writers they like you know um like Tolkien versus Anne Rice like those mm -hmm. are two completely different kinds of but Anne Rice is just more horror but she has fantasy elements yeah uh, but like it, it's the same thing like urban fantasy is completely different from like Lord of the Rings like they're not fantasy is a weird like and they could be completely different tones yeah. too like like let go even closer yeah. like Tolkien versus George R. R. Martin. Both of those are fantasy right. with dragons and stuff like that. But I would not say of, oh, you like Tolkien, you're gonna like George R. R. Martin. They're completely yeah. different sensibilities. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely more of an adult aspect to George than there is to uh, Tolkien. Um, so I mainly do, uh, oh, excuse me. I drank a Coke before this, that was a poor choice. I got a Mountain Dew, um, so I'll be doing the same thing. So I, I describe my own writing. It is um, the joke answer I always say is like every one of my stories is just, oh my God, these idiots are the ones that are going to save the world. Oh God, oh, we're fucked. <laughs> okay. I, I definitely have a like, um, there's, it, it's not like a, not completely like Terry Pratchett where it's like completely absurdist mm -hmm. or anything, but I don't, I, as a reader, I always find like the major epic fantasies to be a little bit too like taking themselves seriously mm -hmm. and kind of stuffy. Oh, 100%. And, get, and I'm like, I don't like, I, I, I enjoy like all the world building and all this stuff, like, like, but I am bored, right? Mm -hmm. Like you spent three pages describing this castle and I am bored to tears. Yeah, I love. Uh, and I, the characters are you're stiff or I don't enjoy a lot of them. Yeah, no, I and get so that. So what my what my style of writing is like I love the idea of epic fantasy. Like I have been reading it since I was little. I've all most of the video games I play are in the genre. Like uh, I read the genre a lot. So mm -hmm. my take on it is like fantasy but not comical but doesn't 100% take itself seriously because I think the moments that are very serious hit harder when the majority of it is a little more lighthearted. Yeah, you know I get I mean? that. Like, I focus a lot more on, like, my strength is in characters and dialogue, like, setting in, like, macro world building. And if there's macro world building where you feel, like, the, the world and the governments and the history and all this stuff. Like, I'm not particularly great at that aspect of writing fantasy. But when it comes to like characters and their backstories and how they interact and their dialogue and like the decisions in life that make them the way they are, that's where like I shine. And I try to infuse that into fantasy more like character centric fantasy is I guess maybe the best way to describe I think, what I write. I think that's more important. A lot of people get caught up in like in the details and stuff like that. 
But if I'm watching, I've seen movies where the plot's kind of eh, but the characters are so well done that I like it anyway. I feel like if you have, yeah. if you have boring characters, you have a bad movie. But if you have good characters and a bad plot, who cares? Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely can be better, but like it's definitely not the most yeah. important thing. By the way, something you're talking about yeah, just reminded me of another book. I just wanted to go really quick here. If you ever heard of Patrick Ness, he has this book called The Rest of Us Just Live Here. And it is basically about people that live, live in like a Buffy-like world, but they're not Buffy. They're people that live that go to the same school as like the Buffy-like character. And let's deal with like, like Sunnydale. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, that. Oliver. They're not the chosen. They see the chosen people running around all the time, but they just live in that world. I don't know. It seemed to fit in with what you're talking I about. I love that kind of. I love that kind of almost Rashomon like take on the uh, the the innocent bystanders of the main. Like it's not. It's like kind of like. Uh, I guess not like the boys where it's like you're focusing on the, the every man and like the, the effects of the superheroes on the world. But I guess it's kind of like that, like that kind of genre where it's you're outside of the, uh, the, the usual central focus. Yeah. Like your Superman's, your Captain America's. No, you're focused on like Doug who works at the corner store uh, and who also happens to live, you know, down the street from uh, the Avengers tower. Like, I think it fits in because you see, like, especially like Buffy. I love that. You see, like, Buffy all the time. Yeah. And it's like, they think they have their own secret club and no one notices what's going on. But such huge things are going on and they no just are race the next week. People notice. People notice the kids going and doing the weird things. And then, like, the teachers that go missing or the other students that suddenly were here and now they're not. And, like, what happened at the talent show? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Like, did, did the mayor just turn into a giant snake at the graduation? Like, what the fuck? Something must have been in that punch. <laughs> oh, God, it's so weird. Um, alternately, which I think it leans more into more like my buff. A, a lot of my, and it feels weird because Joss Whedon's such a dick. I know. Um, a lot of my, like, writing style is influenced by stuff like Buffy, where it's a lot of character interaction uh, and like snarky dialogue or like like that focusing on that part. Well, like, the whole I, thing I, I is he influenced a lot of our life. generation. He uh, he did like he did. all of us grew up with that like a big show in our in our in our childhoods, and we saw that stuff like Avengers, all, all the MCU, the style of MCU is incredibly just sweet. Even though, even though he directed only two of those movies, yeah. he shaped it. It's horrible. Yeah. We found out too late that he was a bad yeah. person, but I like all the shows. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it's really unfortunate, but I also kind of have to be like, well, he's the reason I write the way I do. No, I <laughs> and like people love it. Yeah, my friends are like, I've never re- read like the way you write before. Really, and these are coming from writers who've written multiple books or like read like you're huge readers. They go like. I've never really read a fantasy that has like your style because the way I write like my prose too, I tend to lean in more into first person or just like mm-hmm. a very casual third person. Okay. Uh, I don't like, I don't like like omniscient third where it's like too far removed. Um, I like to be really close in because I like the description to also kind of be like the narrator also being a character if it's not first person. Mm-hmm. But if it's first person, I can also, it's a better way to infuse character without having to do, like, action or dialogue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's more of a chance to character build within the um, 
the the prose, the action, like the way they describe something happening, or like their thoughts. Um, so I, I, I like it's like a like a conversation. I like having like have a conversational storytelling style in genres that usually don't. I feel, but that gives you something that stands out. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I think everyone, especially when it comes to fantasy, everyone is trying to be Tolkien. And, yeah. and there's too many voices yeah. that sound the same. I've tried, and every once in a while I fa- find a good fantasy book, but for the most part, every time I try to find it, it feels too familiar. And it's like, I've read this before. Yeah, there's a reason, uh, there's a reason there's only like five major recommended fantasy books when someone's like, oh, I want to get to read fantasy. What should I read? Yeah, there's like, the general is just five because yeah. they're all, everyone's just trying to emulate one another. And I, I think at some point as a reader, I picked up on that and I was just like, ah, I read this or mm-hmm. this is not interesting. I don't. And I also, and this is maybe another thing that influences my writing style is I have a very hard time reading and visualizing description of setting. Um, if someone describes like a house or a building or like a policy, like if they're trying to describe something, I have a very difficult time envisioning it in my own. Head. Okay. It's usually a place I've already been, but kind of reskinned a little bit. Like if it, even if it doesn't make any sense. So as a, as a writer, I have to either like pull up a bunch of reference photos and it's like seven tabs on my computer that I have to switch through to kind of like try to describe, I'm trying to describe where they are and not have just be in a white room mm-hmm. for the entire, it's fantasy. You have to kind of like set the table because yeah. it's not a common world. You have to kind of give them somewhere to go mentally. And as a read, as a writer, I, I'm lighter on that kind of stuff because it's hard for me as a reader to do it. But there's no rule that you have to do it that way. Like I read, uh, have you ever heard of Joe Abercrombie? I think his name was. Something like that? Um, no, no, but I have been recommended it multiple times. Okay. And I've heard they're very, very So he good. writes the Blade Itself trilogy. And in those books, there are creatures that attack in the first chapter that I didn't, they didn't give you a good description of until the second book. But I still enjoyed huh. the book. It's just, you kind of got like more and more parsed out as the book went on. And it was more about like, we have these really flawed characters we're going to care more about that than we are going to worry about the map and the setting and stuff like that. Right. This is a bad place you're in. You go through it. How does this affect you as a person rather than, rather than just spending five pages to setting it up. Yeah. Um, that's important. And there's also something to be said for setting a little bit of um, like setting or description and letting the reader fill it in for themselves. Yeah. Um, because I think a lot of times, and this may just be because of the advent of young adult uh, becoming like a major part of like the, the book market, mm-hmm. is people not filling it in for themselves. Like everything has to be described or it's flawed. People not putting things together for themselves. Uh-huh. I've noticed that that's why I don't read a lot of young adult because I, I kind of feel like I'm being talked, not, not talked down to, but it's just like, uh, is over described hmm. and I'm like I haven't felt that, that but I, uh, I maybe wasn't paying attention like you were to that yeah it's that's my major one of my major things is when people are like oh like when they don't figure things out for themselves when they're mm. reading 
And I think that's also a problem in film too. It's like, you didn't, you don't need everything described. You can put two and two together. Like, I don't like being talked down to as a reader and I don't like talking down to my readers as a writer. Well, something I, and this could fit into the next segment I'm going to do in here. Something I notice a lot of time in, in like film and stuff like that is they can't wait for you to know the relationships and sometimes is in such weird dialogue that they never repeat again later on. Like, hello, you are the, you are the, my brother and we grew up together. It's like, who, I have never gone to my brother, hey, brother, we've grown up together. We've been through some hard times. It's not, that, it's not a thing that people do. Way. And they only do that in the beginning of the I, movie. They never bring that up around the end of the film. No, and that's the thing with my dialogue um, that I think people have actually, in fact, people have actually complimented me on is that your dialogue feels very natural. Like it's, it doesn't, uh, that's another problem I have with fantasy too is a lot of the dialogues either feels like, that not stuffy, but like unnatural mm. or trying to do too much or it's kind of cringy. Like the humor is cringy and I'm like, this is, this feels awkward. I, you didn't read this out loud to yourself mm-hmm. because the way I read, so my writing style and like the way I actually, or like my process is that I actually like talk to myself a lot um, as the characters interacting with each other. So I get like the tone and the inflection kind of maybe even repeat a line, be like, okay, no, actually they would say it this way more. And then I try to translate that onto the page and I do it like a lot. When I'm driving, there's a very good chance I'm talking to myself in character. That's funny because that's very, very that's very actory. Is like trying to find like the correct nuisance nuance of how to say things, and that's very actory that you do that. That's how I that's how I write, and that's why people are just like, "Man, you have your dialogue so good." Yeah, because I talk to myself a lot, and that was the thing I used to do as a kid. Because uh, I didn't it, again another sad. I didn't have like a lot of friends, mm-hmm. especially because I moved when I was nine years old. So I had to basically reset my entire life when I was nine years old. And I didn't have a great time making friends when I moved. So there was a lot of just me hanging out by myself, playing with toys and talking to myself. Mm-hmm. Like that's how I, I guess I developed that uh, that muscle. And I still do it. I'm 36 years old and I still talk to myself in the car. I'm 99% sure that I just did it when I went to go get lunch and I was figuring out like a little scene or like a little characterization or something. I don't know. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember I could have sworn you also gotten into uh, like proofreading or why is it telling me the meeting's almost out? This is a two-person meeting. We might have started another meeting in a minute. I don't know what the fuck's going on here. Uh, proofreading uh, shit, if I was going to say are helping out with, with like we're alive and stuff like that. Have you like done other people's work? Um, yeah, so uh, I do proofreading and copy editing. I actually am a copy at a certified copy editor. Um, so I do work with independent authors and to like be like the final eyes on their dialogue because I'm really good with grammar. Okay. Um, and I'm really good. At, I'm also good at catching like when some when like a word's being repeated throughout the. the um like the the manuscript or if like every writer has a crutch and i'm pretty good at picking up on like writer crutches and helping them like get rid of them like a way to describe a certain thing or using she you know she mumbles like Mm -hmm. if if you rely on that too much i'm like "Mm, people are going to notice it you know uh so i've I've, i noticed i was really good at that kind of thing 
catching that sort of stuff. And even when I read, I still, I can't a hundred percent turn off editor. Mm -hmm. I'll still be like, oh, I would have fixed that, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but it's two different copy editing and proofreading are two different. Okay. Because copy editing, um, involves more like the prose kind of making it like cleaning up the prose. It's not nothing to do with the actual story itself or the characterization. That's all like developmental editing. And I don't really do that part. Um, I do more of just the, the mechanics of it, you know, okay. like the making sure you're writing, uh, making sure you're actually, your writing reflects what you're trying to say versus the story you're trying to tell. And with proofreading, it's just like, are commas in the right place? Um, does this character's eye color change? Uh, did you capitalize something here, but you didn't capitalize it in chapter 15, but you did it in chapter one, like things like that. Gotcha. That's top. That's yeah. That's those are the two major things that I do. Okay. That's very cool. Um, is there anything you want to get into before we move into the next segment? Uh, if, uh, think that, I mean, I could talk about it all day, but you just have to kind of push me in the direction. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we're going to move yeah, on. That's, that, that's, we pretty well covered my writing and editing, like, works. You know what I mean? Is there anything that... I want to get more into... I am working on, because now I'm certif a certified copy editor. I want to, I do want to lean more into that as, like, a profession. Okay. Whereas writing would be, like, other profession, but... Like side hustle like right happened. now. Is that is that or is that is that is it side hustle or is that the wrong word for it? Uh, yes, I, it's been a side hustle for me for a while, but I want it to be like my main. Okay. It, and not you, have to work in an office. Do you have anything <laughs> uh, up there where people can read that you want people to check out? Do you have anything yet, or just kind of look for the future? Uh, look towards the future because um, in the coming like months and years. Like, I'm really ramping up my writing, so I feel like in the next like year or two, I will start having more like available, and I'll put out calls for like beta readers. Okay. Um, once that's all, once I actually get like a first draft done, and then like my 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 critique partners go through it and work everything, and I feel confident letting people outside the inner circle read it, like the more of a general broad audience, um, read it before it goes to publishing. All right. Well, when you uh, when you finally do have something out there for people, we'll have you back on here to promote that stuff. I will pimp the hell out of it. Okay. So now I'm going to move on to the next segment uh, where we uh, talk about my uh, entertainment thoughts. These are not reviews on the things that I've watched in the last few weeks since the last episode. These are just my thoughts on the entertainment I've taken in. Now I'm going to go back to one thing. I didn't watch this in the last two weeks, but I saw it come up on Twitter, and I wanted to bring this up because it's one of my favorite moral discussions from a TV show. Uh, did you ever watch Voyager, Star Trek Voyager? I did not. Okay. There um, I am a child of a Trekkie, but I have my my Trek knowledge and viewing is very limited. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain the situation not just for you, but also for the listener, and we might get cut off and have to go, come back together in a minute. Uh, there's this episode, uh, Star Trek is very big on transporter malfunctions. So on this version of the show, Two different characters step into the transporter, and then when they come back up and they're put back together, they're combined into one person. So all the personality of one guy and all the personality of another guy mixed, melted together into one man who has all his memories mixed together and becomes their own individual. Like, they, they're trying to fix it. As the time goes on, there's, like, one guy's a Klingon, not Klingon, a Vulcan. The other guy's kind of, like, the comic relief character. They're melted and become, like, almost, like, 
more mm-hmm. feeling, better version of each of those people, the best of both of them as one guy. And what happens yeah, is... Emotional and logical side. Yeah. yeah, they put them together and become a better person. And as it goes on, they, he doesn't want to be turned into two people again because he feels like that would be the death of him. And here's my thing. Morally, they find a way to bring it back to... Bring those two characters back. Morally, is it right to split the person who does not want to be killed in order to bring back those other two people. Ooh. I see what you mean. Um, Technically, although they were two people merged into one person, he became his own person as time goes on. Yeah, he evolved. That's kind of like a the next logical step beyond like a Frankenstein situation. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if you could... Like take Frankenstein's parts and put make them back to their original people, even though now he's a complete being. I don't. Ooh. <laughs> it's one of the best oh, episodes wow. of Star Trek, and it's on Voyager, which is not. It's a good show, but it's not the best Star Trek show. But that's a pretty good one. I. Because you have because you're looking at the loss of two lives versus the loss of one. Right. But is it right to force someone to give up their life to protect another one? But if... Yeah, because those two people are effectively dead? Effectively, oh, yeah. If they, don't, if they don't bring them back, they don't split them, they're effectively dead at the moment. Yeah, I, I would say that it's... You'd have to just... I would let the new being be. Um... Especially if, like, if, like I'm not gonna kill a guy who doesn't want to die, just so that he can bring back the old versions of them, and effectively are a, if he's a better person than the other two were individually. I mean, I, I sound kind of callous about it, but I think you leave the guy. I, I I agree. I think it's fucked up and sad for those people that love those original ones, but yeah, I think murdering to save other people is wrong. Yeah, like two wrongs, like this, like something already went very wrong. To like, and that's the two wrongs don't make a right situation. Yeah. Like, it was wrong that they got merged, but it would be wrong to kill this guy to bring them back. Yeah. So you, both of that's us, nice. both like the, the doctor on the show, the hologram doctor character, refused to do it because he did not want to be a part of this because he thought it was murder as well. The captain yeah. did yeah. it. She she basically killed the guy, Janeway. Murder the guy to bring back the two crew members because they were, you know, they're on the opening credits. They need to come back. I know, but I'm talking like, who do I trust in this situation? The medical doctor or the uh, basically the military captain? Yeah. Right? Like, I'm listening more to the person, to the like the medical professional here than I the other. You can get another crew member. Yeah. You can find no. it. Plenty out there in the Federation that you can bring in to fill in oh, the one spot. They're in whatever. Voyager. They're lost. They're not where close to the Federation. Oh, that's right. But uh, that's right. But oh, I understand both sides. You want your friends back. And I do. I it's emotional. There's no correct decision, but I think no. I think I think murdering the person is the less correct decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So I'm not going to get into another topic. I'm going to end this, and then we will come okay. back in a moment. Okay. There we go. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, it has been a long time since I've had to record a podcast 
that was on right. Zoom because of the pandemic. So we're having some difficulties. Apparently they changed Zoom. So hopefully this will work just fine. We tried it on a different program. Uh, Lisa, uh, are you there? Can you hear me? I am. And I can hear you just fine. Okay. So we're just going to continue the show like this. Hopefully there will be no more interruptions. All right. So we were doing entertainment thoughts. We had just finished talking about uh, the Tuvix moral discussion from Star Trek. Uh, the next thing we're going to talk about. I recently watched a movie that was fucking awful, but let's not get into that. Called Blythe Spirit. Uh, it is an ad- adaptation of a play of the same name. And in this play, in this movie, basically a guy is married to a new woman two, about two or three years after his wife died. His wife now comes back as a ghost to haunt the house. She doesn't remember dying. So she's, for her, it feels awkward. Like, oh, this guy's cheating and stuff like that. What would you do if you're in a relationship and you suddenly, like, your ex comes back from the dead while with one? Is it morally right or wrong to be with somebody else? I mean, how long has she dead? About two or three years. Ew. You can't, oh, so wait. Let me see if I understood correctly. He doesn't know she's there? No, he sees her now. She comes back. He's the only one that can see her, though. His current wife thinks that he's going crazy crazy she's mad his 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 dead wife is mad that he's with another woman what would you do with this moral situation so who am i in the guy you're you're the guy you're dan stevens if that makes it easier Uh, oh by the way was a writer in this Mm. so you can really just put yourself in his shoes uh Oh boy. Um, I would, I think the, the best thing to go about, like she's, she's trapped. She can't move on. No. That's what it sounds like. No, it's not, not really. I, would, I think the morally right thing to do is to help her move on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like try to figure out a way to get that person to figure out whatever's keeping them there. I guess. Work through it. I think it would but be that's hard. Not dramatic enough. Because I definitely, if I came back as a ghost and saw my wife with somebody else, I would be upset. I would feel wrong. I'd be upset. Morally, if I, I didn't know it was dead. Um, I and mean, he explains it to I'm her, but she, he explains it to her and she believes him, but she's still upset about it. I don't think you can, you can be have, objective about it. Like, oh, okay, it's cool. You, you, I'm dead. You moved on. Sure, it's all right. I think you can't. I think you would be moral. You you'd be upset about it. And feel wrong. It would be tough. I mean, if you're a decent person, you eventually are like, oh, yeah, of course they're not just going to wait for me to come back from the dead. Like, they, people move on eventually. Like, relationships end. People die. I think it would also be um, super judgy. Like, I would find so many flaws with a person. Like, really? You like a guy that does this? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And I'd be really? like, I'd be like in the bedroom, which would probably make it super uncomfortable for them. This is what you like. This is what you want. Okay. Really? Okay. I thought we were I thought for you, how long? You never told me. I okay. Thought, I thought you liked having a good time, but sure, enjoy this guy. Oh, sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I guess it's hard to say if I was in that scenario if that happens, but this feels like the 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 right thing to do. Is to help your ghost ex come to terms with like their death 
and whatever's trapping them there, depending on the rules of ghosts. Yeah, too, it's always different. Traps. It's, it's always different. You have to figure that out. I think you're in a no-win scenario. I don't. I think your no, current marriage not. is gonna get ruined, and your your ex, your dead is it an ex if they're dead, or just their dead dead partner will just have you're, to be sad too. Yeah, because you're a you're a widow or widower. Yeah, I don't uh, think that makes them an ex, right? That's, that's that's not an ex. No, that's not the right term. But I don't know if there is a right term. No, other than not. your dead husband or yeah. your dead wife, like. Is there a better term for your deceased spouse? Being in your life? Because I think in most scenarios, that's, pr- that's pretty bad. Yeah, I don't know that I don't know that there needs to be a term for it because they don't usually come back. Uh, okay. Yeah, but saying X is weird. You're right. All right. Yeah, I'll- you're just kind of fucked in that scenario. Like, there's no... You... For me, because I've watched so much fantasy and like, uh, or like supernatural kind of stuff, like I would want to figure out like what's keeping them here. Yeah. Why are why is why is he trapped? Why can't he leave? You know what I mean? Yeah. In the movie, they all eventually die, and that's how it's solved. But yeah. Oh well, okay. That's the other way to do it, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) The unhealthy way, just to murder everybody. Yeah. And they live happily ever after in the afterlife. Well, they all live miserably ever after in the afterlife because they all hate each other all together, all three. All right. So next one I'm doing to go yeah. on to, uh, I've been recently, I've gotten back into the Crash Bandicoot series from PlayStation. Interesting. I just played the fourth one that they came out with. Amazing game. Went back and played the old ones. They're so much fun. But something that I've noticed that makes him even more heroic of a hero than you would think is that he is so fragile. If you walk up to an enemy and touch their tail, they're not even attacking you. You just touch their tail. Crash will fucking die. This guy like, is so risking life and limb, and he's so easily breakable. I don't think I'd be able to do that. If my wife was in trouble, and I die if I touch something, just barely touch it, I'm sorry. I, I'm in a sorry. bubble, and I am by myself. I don't know how you react in that world, how you live in that world. How do you touch other people in that world, like people you want, want to touch? I know. It's, it feels like it's intention-based. Because you see him interact with his sister, and he had, the first one he's trying to, yeah. to save his girlfriend, so like he's fine with he's fine touching his girlfriend. Maybe she knows how to touch him just right, but like yeah, maybe I don't know. This and the whole backstory. If you play the fourth one, you find a backstory. Cortex was trying to raise him to be like a super soldier for him, and like really, you want this guy to be your super soldier? Really? That's it. That's I mean- that's Crash's origins. I mean, look at Steve Rogers before the super serum, though. Like, he was just this, like, he, you breathed on him funny, he would collapse. Yeah, <laughs> but Steve Rogers would be able to kill Crash Bandicoot before the super serum. That's, that's true. Even Steve without the super serum, yeah. like, when he was a scrawny little Brooklyn kid, could have breathed on Crash funny. Yeah, and uh, it, it's over. Give him a high five, and uh, <laughs> Crash would have to go back to the save point. <laughs> But I, I feel like uh, this is how I look at, at those worlds. Uh, I have to justify it in that way. Anything like Mario or, or Crash or anything like that where they have lives, it's a multiverse. So the one where they get all the way through to the end, you've seen the path in that universe where they made it to the end. Other ones, those are the ones where they died. You've seen real Whoa. deaths. 
That's the only way I can see how it makes sense. Because video games don't, you know, our logic doesn't make sense in those worlds. They don't act like they have multiple lives in those worlds. Yeah. I mean, that's the way you can explain it, is a multiversal theory. Yeah. 14,650,000, you know, 100. And Crash is hard. Different realities. Crash is hard, so he <laughs> dies a lot. That was one, because I never had a PlayStation until, mm. uh, like, I was an adult, so I never played the Crash Bandicoot games. Um, that was the one that I missed. Oh, okay. But that's, I didn't know that that was, like, he was that delicate. Like, it was a one-and-done Oh yeah. Hit scenario. Unless he has a tiki mask, he dies. If he's where it has a tiki mask, he's good for one more hit. So uh, that so always... it's like a, a negate one hit yeah. sort of scenario, and then the next one kills you, guys. Yeah. So that also reminds me of something else in video games. I always found that's weird. Like I'm a big fan of like so at my work right now we're demonstrating these headphones. And the way we're demonstrating it is we hooked it up to a PlayStation and we have Uncharted on there. And the fourth game in that series has uh has a uh, flashbacks right but in these flashback sequences you can fucking die how do you die in a flashback that makes no I sense hate to that me in video games yeah god I of war the first like the first god of war is all flashback and i died a yeah. lot mm-hmm. like yeah. is it is he like yeah. going over yeah, his mind is he is he going over in his mind, just going like and then i died wait no that makes no sense let me go back no, to no. our ones Hang on, no, no, and you do it like fifteen more times. It's especially I forget what game, I feel like it's like a Resident Evil game or something that at one point it's like a flashback and like someone like when you die, yeah, it is weird. Like you shouldn't be able to die in a flashback in a video game. No, then that just breaks the timeline. <laughs> it should you should be practically immortal. You should be able to do things that make no sense. But hey, it's a flashback, yeah. so I guess it makes sense. We keep on talking about that death, is, and I got one more point. death thing to bring up to you. So I was watching a sure, video. Great, let's do it. I was watching a video on YouTube. Now back, I had never heard of parkour until Casino Royale introduced me to it with the amazing opening sequence, or not opening sequence, beginning sequence. Okay. Uh, but I, I never heard of through Bond. Yeah, that's how I learned everything. That's how I learned about sex. Oh, what Bond. About, he he. What's he doing Bond? with those women? He looks like fun. I'm gonna learn that someday. Uh, but no, I learned parkour from that, and I recently saw on YouTube some people just doing, like, parkour off of top of buildings and, like, super dangerous situations, and am I the only one who's not impressed, but actually kind of mad and pissed off at these people for doing that shit? Hmm. Because, like, they're on top of, like, historic buildings or, like, huge buildings, like, jumping from thing to thing, and, like, they're on the edge. These aren't courses. These are, like, risking their life to make a YouTube video of them risking their life for no fucking reason other than views. They're, they're just trying to play Assassin's Creed in real life. Yeah, they, they have, like, the GoPros on their heads, and jumping from building to building, on the edge, jumping down, like, to, to people's private ledges and stuff like that, just risking it, it all. Yeah, when you get into, like, private property, that's real, like, dicey. I, I'm not as upset if they're doing it on, like, public stuff, as long as they don't break anything. I just don't like... They can break themselves, though. I don't like but, yeah. people risking their lives for things, things like that. The same reason why I don't like people that try to re- reach the top of Mount Everest. I, well, I think, that's I think, the whole thing. I think you're yeah. fucking stupid, and you're, like, people risk their lives having to go try to save you. Don't do it. Let people go... You don't need a fucking Sherpa guide. Just fucking die. 
You don't need people to go that's, out with rescue workers. You fucking die. With Everest is that they exploit the, uh, it's the white man exploiting the, yeah. <laughs> the Nepalese community to but, trip up them up this, for what? So you could like put a flag up there? But think about uh, but, uh, Ooh, but great guy. Yeah, and then with the but with the parkour thing in private buildings, there's people you see people walking around on the sidewalk. So you're gonna traumatize people who are gonna see your dumbass fall to your death because you couldn't get uh, you want to get views. When we went to the Grand Canyon, my wife and I, we saw people oh. that would. There's like a fence you're supposed to not go mm-hmm. past. They climb over the fence, mm-hmm. they go over an area, and they'd hang by one hand and get pictures. Hate those uh, people. Nope, 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 you were gonna nope, traumatize. Nope. So I don't care if you, you do whatever the fuck you want with your life, but if you kill yourself, do yeah. it private. I don't want you traumatizing anybody else. I didn't think of it that way, but you're right. That's I would because <laughs> I have a pretty. I mean, it's it, the only fears I believe that we are built into humans are fear of death and the fear of heights. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have my mind is particularly bad. Um, so that would fuck with me real bad. Like I can't, I couldn't get anywhere close to the edge of the Grand Canyon. Like I refused. They, they like, won't let you get close. The concept of it. I wouldn't. Even, I wouldn't even want to risk like a strong breeze taking me to the like close to the edge. They have a they have uh, a rail. We're not supposed to go over. What you have? What? Like so I'm not. I have trouble with ladders. Oh, okay. Like I'm not fucking dealing with goddamn jumping off. Yeah. When you put it that way. Yeah, because it's that you're being selfish yeah. at that point. One hundred percent. You're not thinking about any consequences or, um, like anything like that just for the clout. Like, yeah. No. All right. You're right. I, I got okay. a few. I got you, a few you more of these. You probably on your side on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm convincing. All right. So I was watching Toy Story three uh, this week, okay. and um, you know, so those movies take place over like. About two decades almost. Maybe 15 years. I don't know. Something like that. A long period of time. And the most unbelievable thing. I can believe that toys are alive and they're walking around. We're not there. Sure. That happens. Uh, what I don't believe is that Slinky Dog lasted that long. Have you ever had mm-hmm. a Slinky last more than a week? Mm-hmm. You have? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay. You, you surprised? Yes, you heard my whole theory for a second. Sorry. Sorry. No. No, sir. Uh... Those things get tangled up real quick, um, and your parent or like it pulls apart, and there's like sharp ends, and your parents go, "Nope, can't play with that anymore." Yeah. Slinky Dog did not last. No, and not only that, he's not here. They <laughs> use him. They use him bad. The end. Of, the end of the first Toy Story movie. He should have been broken because he's getting Those stretched. Those are not well made. He's super stretched, holding on to Buzz, Woody, and and the car at the end of the first movie. You, they don't go back into place after that point. They're done. And no. yet he's perfectly it's fine. He goes to a fucking dude. preschool or kindergarten or whatever. No, yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. There's no way it's Slinky Dog. Unless it's unless they imply that you keep rebuying Slinky Dog, but I don't think they make them anymore. No, that'd be oh, uh, that'd be sad. Time. That'd be fucking they because yeah, then they, Woody and Buzz know that they're killing him when they're when they're holding on to him to get back to their moving truck. They know they're killing him if they replace him like that. They're just putting those dogs down. Yeah. That's 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 traumatizing in itself. Like, <laughs> uh, is it is it is it the, it's the Mr. Meeseeks thing where you just keep killing them and they keep coming back? Like maybe he lives to die for you. He's a loyal dog yeah. and they exploit him. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right for 
an, a, a white astronaut and a white cowboy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Explain. Especially when one of those guys is played by Tim Allen. I can see this. I can, I can yeah. see bad things. I can see it. All right. Uh, so I recently got Tom into... Tom Hanks might... Was that? Not, but... No, Tom, Tom Hanks... Tom Hanks might not, but Tim Allen would. Oh, 100%. All right. So I've recently gotten into the show Avatar The Last Airbender. And so Ooh, brother. I watched the first two seasons. I love it. I love it. It's a great show. But uh, something I've been thinking about a lot is that, like, in the group, and by the end of the second season, they have a waterbender, they have a earthbender, they have uh, they have the, the avatar who can do all the three things, air, earth, water, whatever, at that point. And then there's one guy who just has a boomerang. How insecure would you be if you're the guy in a group full of super powerful people and you're the only one who doesn't have anything? I mean, that becomes a thing. Um, Does it in, like, later? I don't know. I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. But that basically becomes, like, his thing, right? Is uh-huh. As he's going on and as, he's, as like, as Katara uh, is getting better at her waterbending and as Aang comes into his own. And then just being around talk would make anybody insecure. Yeah. Um, because that, the energy on that girl is fierce. She became my favorite um, character. Yeah. That that becomes his thing. I don't know. In fact, you said he just had a boomerang. I don't think you've gotten to the point. He does try to develop his own strengths, if that makes sense. Like, he but, tries to lean into the fact that he doesn't have them and, not, and lean into the strength that he has. But I'm not criticizing the show itself. I'm just going on the concept of what I'm throwing out to you. If you were in a group like that, how would it affect you? Oh, oh I'd be insecure as fuck every day of my life. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I was okay. For example, like, I was around, um, like, um, comedians and improv performers for years and years and years and years and years. Um, and I played D&D with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And they're all really good. It's just, like, on the fly coming up with, like, conversations and scenarios. And I always felt like, I don't belong here because I'm a writer and I think sense out and I have a backspace key and I can, like, do all this stuff mm-hmm. and think about it. I can't do it like on the fly. What the fuck? So I feel like I can relate to Sokka in that sense of just like, I don't belong here, do I? But at the same time, I wouldn't want to drag the group down. So I would maybe just like dig deep down and lean into the stuff that I do have, which I, which is what the show also does. That is a much more mature response than what I would do. Because I 100% think well, I would no, do I this. Would, my thing would I be- would be crying in my pillow nightly. I would be, I would think I'm a burden. And so what I would do all the time is like, do you guys really want me to come along with you? Like, I feel like I'm in the way. Am I in the way? Let me know. The second I'm in the way, just let me know. And I will go back to the water tribe. Do not worry about me. I don't want, I don't want to ruin this for you. You're the avatar. You are the most important person. Dude, do not let me drag you down. And I'd be doing that constantly. And they probably would get rid of me eventually. Not because I don't have powers, but because I'm annoying them. Shut up. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I would, I would internalize all that. I wouldn't say it, but I would feel it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a burden on these people. When are they going to get rid of me? Like I would daily be worried that they were just going to like leave me in the next town, that they, I would just wake up and they'd be gone and I would have no way of being able to fight. <laughs> oh yeah. That, I mean, that kind of thought I always think of with like Doctor Who, stuff like that is that you're so yeah. dependent on one person to get you anywhere out of there. I would not want to travel with him for that one reason. He takes you any place, 
anything happens to him, your whole life is ruined. Yeah, if he dies, you're like, well, I'm trapped in 1792. Yeah. Shit. Or I'm trapped on a weird world. <laughs> no other time one. Yeah, exactly. It's no other time one's going to come pick me up. All right. That is dangerous to be his companion. Yeah, I, I always think about it like that. I always see these oh, people wearing, the, wearing these t shirts like, uh, three world. Words a girl wants to wants to hear is I'm the doctor. Like no, why would you no. want to travel with them? All their lives get ruined. No, thank you. No, I would. Donna, fucking the Donna story is the most tragic shit I've ever seen. Right? Like, yeah. She's just like every woman who's like struggling to be an adult. Like she just has all these temp jobs and she doesn't feel like she's an important person. And she goes along with him, and eventually she literally becomes the most important person in the entire fucking universe. And then she has to forget about it and go back to the life she had before and remember nothing. That being said, <gasps> I think every single person in like a show where they have like a problem of the week kind of thing, they don't talk enough about how much PTSD these people would get. Like all these people, like they, oh, in these yeah. shows, they go through like a horrible experience. And then like, the next week, like, hey, it's been kind of, kind of calm for the last three weeks. I'm kind of bored. It's like, no. You just you almost not... died like 15 times last year. Maybe you'd be like, cool, maybe I'm not dying. Another show, every once in a while it happens. I think Buffy got a little bit PTSD eventually. But for the most part, yeah. every, everyone's perfectly fine living normal lives with just life-threatening situations getting thrown in every week. It's, it, that would not work in the real nope. world. Nope. And that's why you have to have a character like the Doctor who's used to that sort of thing versus like us. But like the compan, like they look so down on people uh, in uh, in Doctor Who and stuff like that. If like there's a character that doesn't want to risk their life, that is afraid, like cowardly a little bit, yeah. which I think most people would be kind of cowardly. They're always looked at like, oh fuck that guy. Like no, I'd be that guy. That's me in oh, Doctor Who. No, I'm the cowardly that's... guy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like I I would be that person too, straight up. I'd be like, no, I, I'm leave me, leave me back at my mom's house. I don't. <laughs> Just drop me back off, <laughs> go bounce around time, go see the year three million and watch the sun explode. Like I'm done. I'm done. I don't I don't want to see a civilization get wiped out again. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. All right. <laughs> I'm good. So that has been my entertainment thoughts. We're now gonna move on to entertainment news. See creative titles I have here. Uh so entertainment news is just like it sounds like it's news about entertainment. The first one I find very funny. So there's a new uh movie coming out, I think just came out this week called Beast. With Idris Elba. And apparently... Sounds familiar. It's a ba basically about a group, a family getting attacked by a lion out in the wild. Now, the funny thing okay. is... The funny thing is about this... It, it leans slightly towards gossip. I don't think it's quite gossip. Is that his daughter auditioned to play his daughter in the movie. And he and the directors came to the conclusion... They don't have good chemistry. So they hired someone <laughs> else. And his daughter wouldn't speak to him for three weeks because of this. You, can you imagine? I mean, it's one thing to like not get a role out of nepotism and be a, a, like, okay, maybe I didn't get the part because, you know, it would seem weird for yeah uh, because there'd be plenty of other actresses they do deserve the work. But to be told, like, yeah, you and your dad uh, don't do scenes well together. It's just doesn't, it's not like, working for You're us. not believable as <laughs> father and daughter. We're going to hire someone else yeah. who's not his daughter to be more believable in that role. That would give me that would give you a little bit of like uh, insecurity. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm 
not my dad, I guess, because we have like a certain uh, expectation of what a father or daughter should interact. Yeah. Um, that they don't, I guess they don't have for that movie, but that's just funny to me. Oh, I, like, I find... it, we're sorry, we didn't. You weren't believable enough as his daughter. It's like I'm literally half him. It's like, what do you? What's what I do every day of my life? Be his daughter, okay? I've been his daughter every day for the past twenty years. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next story I got is uh, so the the show Friends has gotten a lot of flack over the years for uh, basically not having black people in New York, which is a crazy Correct. thing because New York's very diverse. Uh, yeah. Recently, Lisa Kudrow came back in. I'm going to kind of just uh, paraphrase it a little bit. She's like, the creators of the show were two white guys, and so it was wrong for them to put the perspective of black people in there when that, they're right from their own experiences. Now, I have thoughts on this, but I want to know what your thoughts are. That's something as a writer that... Um... I feel like the mentality around that has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the 90s, I feel like that was the, the prevailing theory of like, well, they're not my experience, so I shouldn't write them. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I think now we've come more as a society to um, representation, even if it's not your representation. Yeah. Um, as long as it's um, healthy representation. Yes. Uh, even if it's not like, your experience um but i definitely know that, like in the 90s that was kind of the, or like even before the past five ten years it, that's something i've noticed as like a shift in in like the writing culture is you should i mean like diversity is important representation is important even if it's not yours you give everything a chance well i mean yeah and my point of view is it's not like the show's made in britain or something like that where they often have one or two writers. Basically, the creators write all six episodes as one and done. In America, yeah. we have writers' rooms. You're telling me you couldn't hire some black or Mexican actors yeah. to write the that's, perspective of those characters? That's some bullshit, Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, that's that's the problem. That's that's the issue. Is it's not that it was it was all white writers. Like, well, yeah, because you hired all white writers yeah. to write the show. Like, you didn't even give. Uh, them a chance to pr- represent themselves. So Mike, yeah, that's Mike Sure, <laughs> who wrote The Good Plays and Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine Nine, has incredibly yes. diverse shows. He is white as yes. hell. He is a that dude is white as fuck. For you, those of you um, who don't know what he looks like, he is Moe's from The Office. He's Moe's. Yeah, he's literally an Amish. Yeah, like, he's Regis Philbin's son-in-law. Like. So those diverse experiences aren't his, but he talks to his writer's room and they get ideas and they work off each other and they discuss things and they get different perspectives. I'm not saying the friends, the people who made friends were evil. They were working with the environment at the time and that was just the way it was done and they weren't forward thinkers that way. But you cannot deny that it was wrong and go like, look, we made a mistake. It was the way it was at the time. It's not good that it was the way it was at the time, but that's what it was. And we're sorry about that. We regret it. Like, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, with writing communities. Is there's, a, there's a thing now. Um, I guess it always was, but it's more of a thing, is sensitivity readers, where even if it's not your representation, if you're trying to do, like, if you're um, able-bodied and you try to write a disabled character, you would try to seek out, um, like, someone who is 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, disables in that maybe not in the same way or like, but, but just be like, am I doing things that are problematic? Like, is there, is there bad, like you would do it in any kind of like any racial thing is a racial experience isn't yours, sexual experience, like sexuality or gender, uh, <laughs> anything like that that's outside of your, like your personal experience. And even if it is your personal experience, it's always good to get like yeah. um, a broader perspective. Um, because your experience could be different from somebody else's entirely. Yeah, and so that's the same thing with Michael Schur is that he has diversity to kind of like um, diversity in the writer's room to uh, make sure that he's representing characters or uh, ideas fairly. Like, um, what's what's Jamila Jamil's character's name? Tahani. Like, you, you definitely can tell that there was there was. Um, like that culture in the writer's room, mm-hmm. like of her family. Yes. Um, you could tell that, like all of that, like they, they had, they made sure that they did it so that in like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a great example of uh, diversity uh, in both the cast and a writer's room. Yes. So there's, there's no excuse these days for it um, because there's so many avenues and so many people who, there are literally people who are sensitivity readers who say, I will read your books and tell you if something is problematic. Like if you're using like problematic terminology or someone's being like um, ableist or uh, if this is straight up racist mm-hmm. <laughs> or this uh, this is outdated or thought processes and rooted in like misogyny. Um, but back in the 90s, there wasn't as much of that available. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a lot of that thanks to the internet too. And I'm, I, like um, I said, I'm not holding that against them. I just want them to at least admit that, hey, we could have done better, but we didn't. So. Right. You, yeah. Like, we can't. We, there's a lot of old, like, a lot of old movies and stuff that we like that are problematic, right? Oh, yeah. Because of time, like, they didn't. I'm a James Bond fan. Those know, movies like, are problematic as hell. Yeah. Well, it's never like it's problematic. Like, I get it. Yeah. If someone calls you out on it, don't be like, don't try to like excuse it. Just be like, listen, we're not proud of it. No. You know, that it's not great, but uh, you know, don't try to be like, oh, they just didn't want to. Do-. No, it was just it was the nineties. Yeah. And that just wasn't the culture at the time, and there wasn't as many available resources. Uh, and yeah, Hollywood's racist. Newsflash. For sure. <laughs> All right, let me see uh, for the next story. Uh, see if you even know about this show. Have you heard of the show Pennyworth? The Al- Alfred show, right? Okay, yes. So HBO had decided to change the name because they feel like not enough people know it's about Alfred, who the Alfred is, Pennyworth, because his name is Alfred Pennyworth. So they've changed, the, they changed the name of the show. What do you think of this title? Pennyworth. The origin of Batman's Batman's Butler. That's too long. It's also fucking stupid. It's stupid. Just make it Pennyworth. Like, just leave it and then market it better. Or maybe just don't do an origin story of Batman's Butler. Or maybe Batman's just don't do Butler. an origin story of Alfred. Although, I, I have always wondered because they always imply that he has like a badass backstory yes, and you never see it. Um. So yeah, I mean, I'm happy you just do like a mini series about it, but like, don't, don't, that's the thing. So going back to like over describing something to like make sure people aren't stupid or like they get it. Mm-hmm. That's the prime example of it. Yes. Just leave it as Pennyworth. Now don't say Pennyworth, you know, it's the Batman's butler, you know, the guy yeah. named Alfred. 
Like, it makes. I think Pennyworth Pennyworth has a little intrigue too, and then you read it. Oh, it's about it's about the butler. Okay, that's cool. When you throw in the origin of Batman's butler, it's like so. Nobody likes an origin story. But not just that. It's like so he applied for a job as a butler. I don't need an origin story of a butler. That doesn't make it better. And he's not even his origin is that he's a butler. Yeah. Like his origin is that he was like friends with uh, Thomas Wayne. Like, and then he, when that all went down, he like took over the role of raising Bruce. Like he's, it's that dumb. It's just so dumb. Yes. Because it's, he's not going to be a butler in the show. It's going to be his time before he was a butler. So don't put it in the title. Yeah, dumb. They're dumb. I, and like, oh, they already did a, they already did a, they already did a prequel Batman show called Gotham, which has young Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I feel like, and that one already threw in too many of Batman's villains. So like, they're gonna be sixty by the time he actually is fighting crime. Well, just call it Alfred. But like this, Why yeah. But like this one, I, I have never seen an episode of, of Pennyworth, so I might be wrong. But like, what characters can you use in in Pennyworth? That you know besides that are Batman's villains. Like, they can't really use... He's young Alfred. It feels like kind of a wasted idea of a show. Just have a spy show. Maybe the twist at the end, the series finale, you find out he's Batman Butler. That might be funny. But I don't know what you can do with that. It just seems dumb to me. Yeah, I'm so curious now. Because other than Thomas and Martha Wayne, like, who do you know? Right? And I guess you could, like... Drop in characters like I don't know. I don't know. He's just coming every, older. Every once in a while, he meets somebody. And it's like I just had a baby named Enigma, Edward Enigma. Look at the baby Edward Enigma. So he's just baby villains. I want to see that show. Yeah, yeah. DC I mean, babies. Was up as a, like a teenager or like a young employee at whatever. But that. That's the only, like, I'm looking at the cast of, like, season, like, all this, and there's not a whole lot of, like, um, that you're bringing them back, like, yeah. um. So what's the point of the show? Because they're all too young. I guess, let's see what it is, explores the life, a former British soldier of the Special Air Service. Um, he forms his own security company, which combines aspects of the early 1960s with invented events and practices. So it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be connected to Batman. That's the thing. It, they're only doing that to to try to get the audience. It's not fucking working. Yeah, that's just like a sixties like spy show. Mm-hmm. Like it's the secret the sixties secret agent service show, which is cool on its face, right? Yeah, like exactly. that sounds neat. I yeah. I want to see like that the stylized version. Oh of yeah, kind of like an old Avengers. Like, I was... not Marvel's Avengers, but. Like the yeah, now we're talking about John Steed and Emma Peel. Yeah, yeah. I what I would love is if because uh, they have to change James Bond up now. You just saw No Time to Die, so like when they bring yeah. it back, they have to change it drastically. Why not make it a period piece from now on and make it like Bond in the '60s, where he's more relevant and makes more sense? I I, I love that kind of shit. Okay. All right, I love that retro stuff. Like I'm begging for them to do like. Uh, I mean, it's probably not going to happen at this point, but to do like a, re- a, a retro Fantastic Four thing. Oh yeah, that'd be great. I don't think they're right? going to do that because of they want them in the MCU and they can't really yeah. do that. But that'd be interesting. Uh, speaking of James, to... sorry, what? 
madmen madmen like madmen it up like do like 50s 60s stylized superhero shows oh yeah that'd be dope i mean reed richards kind of fits especially 60s reed richards fits that style he's horrible towards women Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. speaking of horrible towards women let's bring up sean bean i'm not sure if you've seen anything about this Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. so i've been an outspoken fan of sean bean for years on this podcast because i you know he's 006 and he's very cool but he said something very stupid recently that he's complaining about intimacy coordinators in movies and tv shows complaining about them because they ruin the spontaneity on in the scenes and, you know, now that they have to check with people so much, it ruins the sex scenes because of that. And my whole thought process is I would want a woman's perspective on this rather than yours. Because I'm sure you're not that upset about intimacy, but women will be. So fuck, fucking yeah. shut up. Uh, that's kind of one of those like, mm, maybe, maybe not a 60 something year old man's opinion. On yeah, this. I. I'm not going to condemn um, him forever because he's probably been fine in movies and I've never heard anything bad about him on set. But, dude, you're you're out of touch. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It's, it's a little, it, that's a little, like, this maybe isn't your thing to speak out on. Yeah. We've heard so many stories about women treated horribly in these kind of scenes and they need someone staying up for them, not just, not going like, well, it makes yeah. the scene a little less fun for me. It, maybe, maybe, you know what's even more fun? What's even more fun, Sean, is consent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's sexy as hell. <laughs> consent is sexy as hell, man. I'll tell nope. you what. No, I, I agree. I agree 100%. Spontaneity. Yeah, on your end, maybe. And she's just going along with it because there's cameras and a crew everywhere and you can't do anything. Like, I see so many people, like, get mad at women. I, I spend way too much time in comment sections on Facebook, and they're That's toxic as hell. But anytime any woman, even even now, speaks up about, like, things that they did when they are younger, when they are pressured. Like, Amanda Seyfried speaks up a lot about things she did when she was yeah. younger because she felt yeah. she had to do it or to get, you know, get in the films. Everyone's like, well, you're the one that chose to sell your soul to do this, and it was your choice, and you sure enjoyed getting those paychecks. Yeah. People want to oh, make it in the industry. Blend. And it sucks that they, they felt like they had to do things that they weren't comfortable with. She's now more yeah, comfortable and she's speaking out for other women coming up, hoping to make it so they don't have to go through the same thing. Just because you got paid for it yeah. doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean you agreed to yeah. those sorts of things. No, yeah. That's that's just victim blame. Like yeah, she was wearing a short skirt, she was asking for it. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. That's not how that works. Sorry. But I hear I'm so glad much. that she's doing that for her future generations. Yeah, I think like, she's great oh, because of that. She should be able to agree. Maybe they should just be able to say, not comfortable doing this. Yeah. Thanks. Nudity should not be a thing that should be forced into someone doing a movie or not. I don't care what the movie yeah. is. Like, look, if you're if you're comfortable with that, you could throw it in there, but they really it shouldn't be a mandatory thing. It seems to affect women a lot more than it affects men. But guys, like, I don't feel comfortable getting nude in a scene. They're not gonna try to push the guy to do it. But they do that yeah, with women how much, a lot. Yeah, how much, like, dong do you actually see? Not a lot. No, the most you'll see it is, a is, a, is a guy butt for the most part. But women, like, but, more and more, yeah, especially was, during, like, the 2000s up, see a lot of full frontal. So, like, like just watch this last season of The Boys. Straight up saw Jack Quaid's butt, like, because he was nude. Yeah. <laughs> and, like... But even then, that's usually done for like with guys. Nudity is more often it's for comedic. Laughs. It's for comedic effect too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not for laughs, but, but whereas women are being like sexualized. Yeah. Yeah. 
agree, one hundred percent. There's there's different tones when it's duty versus. Well, that's why more like, often when guys are nude, it's ugly guys. And I'm not saying Jack Quaid's ugly guy, but like for the most part, he's he's, he's the exception. He's one of them. Yeah, he's well, he's he's a little more of the on the comedic end of the spectrum of the show. Uh, he'll be he's supposed to be the everyman. Yeah, but he's been through so much shit. Like he's the butt of a lot of jokes. <laughs> I see um, what you did there. I see what I did there. It's a butt. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, for men, nudity is for laughs. Women nudity is for hormones. And like. I just hear so much. Like, I'm going to go back to Amanda Seyfried. She's talked about this. And this is another thing people attacked her for. Is a, I'm not sure if you've seen Mean Girls. But there's a moment in there. She plays a very stupid character. And one of the things she get, her character does is like she checks to see her boobs to see if it's raining. And fucking guys go up to her all the time now. And like comment about that in real life. And like ask her to reenact that scene. And I just can't imagine thinking that's a cool thing to do to a real person. It was a joke in a movie. And this guy's... Showing her how horn doggy they are, I would never be comfortable doing that to a woman in a movie from almost twenty years ago. Yeah, fucking gross. So that's great. All right, let's move on to something a little lighter. Uh, okay. Are you a fan of Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Uh, I mean, I've seen it. I okay. It. So yeah, what would you think of a spinoff of one of the characters? Who? What character do you think would be best for a spinoff? Hmm. I mean, the only person I can, like, think of maybe is, like, Cameron. Okay. What if I were to tell you the, the valets, who they give the car to and have the whole driving off sequence in there, what if they got their own spinoff TV series? So what's your turn? I feel like you're not making this up. This isn't just a what-if scenario. This is, this is uh, being made by the creators of Cobra Kai. They're making a movie called Sam and Victor's Day Off. Which is a side story of the characters, the valets, and uh, Ferris Bueller. All right. This is where I always bring up the quote from Jurassic Park. Uh, it's paraphrasing, of course, of the just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Uh, this feels like one of those scenarios where it's like, no one asked for this. Uh, and because you can doesn't mean maybe you should. I, they're such a small a thing. They're not. They're not developed characters at all. Like, ah, oh, cool. What if we saw like the perspective of the the, the valet? It's like, why? They had like fifteen seconds of airtime in the movie. I can't. And you're not gonna hire the same guys because it's been a while. So it's gonna be other guys that look like the guys. It's like doing a whole Star Wars movie about like um the um the dude whose arm gets cut off in the cantina in the New Hope, like. That being said, very little that being said, well, I would like to see universe. I would like to see like a that thing you do story of the Cantina band. I want to see the rise to you know Star what? Wars fame. I want to see the rise and fall of the Cantina band. For yes, sure. yeah, yeah, 100%. I would I would be in theaters for that 100%. Cuz where like Tom Hanks is their manager. Yeah. <laughs> he's still it's he's still <laughs> the manager a long long time ago. Did you know the guy in that thing you do was actually an immortal alien? You know what? It's Tom Hanks. I believe anything. Yeah, that sounds good. He still has the sunglasses and the 60s haircut. Yeah. I guess, I was going to throw these next two stories together because they're very similar. We've got two more side projects. Let's see if you want if you have any interest in either of these. We got a big motion picture coming of another Disney ride. 
It is Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, the movie. Um, as long as they say this is the wildest ride in the wilderness at some point, and that there's a goat. But there's like no plot in that one. There's not even really no, character besides no a goat. Besides a goat, there's no characters. Here's the thing: is they, and this is the problem with just Hollywood and I guess like capitalism in general is. Pirates of the Caribbean did really, 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 really well. Yes, five movies. And they're like, what if we could keep dipping back into that well and try to recreate that sort of magic? And they've tried. And like they keep trying. They tried it with Haunted Mansion. They tried it with freaking Tomorrowland or whatever. Yeah. They tried it. They tried it with. Uh, what's the one they tried it with? Um, Jungle Cruise. Actually, Jungle Cruise is good. Jungle Jungle Cruise. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, no, that's it. That's Yes, that's exactly what they're doing. It's it's so transparent at this point. It's just like, which of these rides, the original rides, not based on a movie already, yeah. can we turn into a movie itself and profit off it? By the way, did you see Jungle Cruise? I did not. Okay. Do you mind if I spoil something for you that's really stupid? Go for it's it. a big um, plot point. I have no Okay. The reason why that movie works is because they remade the first Pirates of the Caribbean. It is the exact same story. Cursed people trying to get the one guy who could undo the curse and it makes him immortal but trapped kind of thing. It is the exact same movie. Okay. It, let's so further proving my point that yeah. they're just trying to recreate Paris and so, Caribbean and get as much money as they did out of six movies. Big Thunder Mountain will be people trapped on a railroad that are cursed that are trying to find another guy. Uh, Haunted Mansion will be ghosts they're trapped there trying to get another guy to break the curse. I think everything's just going to be right. that same movie over and over again because they found the one formula that works is the original Pirates. All right. Uh, one more project, and they'll uh, have another story after that that's going to make me sad, and then we'll, we'll go into the last segment. All right. They okay. are going to make a live-action movie of Pac-Man. Why live-action? So when I heard that news, I was like, why is it live I don't know. Probably because Sonic. Is it live action? It's, it's because of Sonic. No. I don't like it. But, like, Sonic at least I had, mean, like... Super Hero, like, Rescue Rangers is good, but, like... But that was... Uh, uh, I mean, still, they they were... That was barely a Rescue Rangers movie. That was more, like, about yeah. characters that were involved with Rescue Rangers. Behind the music. Yeah. But, like, Pac-Man, I think, is going to try to be like Sonic. But Sonic had... You know, personality. Even if he doesn't talk, oh, he does talk in later ones. He has a whole full cast of characters and personality and stuff like that. Pac-Man eats dots and gets chased by ghosts. There's not much to his character. That's the thing is, the Sonic games too also have. I'm not saying like real world scenarios, but Sonic interacts. Like I played a lot of Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure Two, where he's like in cities and mm-hmm. doing things. Like he's like interacting with the quote unquote real world in his games. Yeah. Pac-Man does not interact with the real world of his games at all. No, like, he does they're going to be doing Pac-Man like the Rescue Rangers movie, where it's like he starred in these, and then this is like his life. Maybe, but, but I'm going like, to make it live action. But then like, even you know, with that one, like, do we need that movie? We just had Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. There's not a scenario I can think of where it really is necessary. And even then, I don't like necessary. The Sonic movies are crap. I saw both of them. They're really bad. The only time they made a good... Uh, live action video game movie was Detective Pikachu. Yeah, yeah. Like you could, I like the original Mortal Kombat, but that's not a good movie. The only one that I legitimately oh, think is a good movie 
is De- Detective Pikachu, and that was a fluke. Terrible. Yeah, Detective Pikachu was like a perfect storm um, of like casting and writing and yes. nostalgia. Um, and this is coming from a guy. Also because, sorry. Also because Pokemon is still relevant. Yeah. But here's how well it works. I don't like Pokemon. I only like Detective Pikachu. It's the only Pokemon thing I like, and it just worked out. It's well done enough that even a non-fan can enjoy it. Yeah. The fact that you say that, because Matt and I enjoyed it because we, he and I grew up, because like, I've been playing Pokemon since it launched in, like, 97, mm-hmm. right? So he and I have, like, a history of Pokemon. Like, I have hundreds and hundreds of hours in across all the games. So that's why I... Like, I thought that's why I enjoyed it, but to hear that someone outside of it who does not even fan at all of it, it's like, yeah, that's still really good. I could I could yeah. understand it and relate to it. Like, I want to side up. You know why? Because you know why? Because you're following just two characters. You're focused in on the journey of these two characters. They're well done characters. This world yeah. around them. That's 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 the power of good character mm-hmm. and a good character. Yeah. Alright, so for the last one, do you watch only murders in the building? I do not, but I keep seeing ads for them, so I feel like I would enjoy it. It's so <laughs> you know good. What I mean? It's so good. It's some of Steve Martin's best work, which is why the story makes me so fucking sad. Is that Steve Martin saying this is it? This is it for him. After only murders in the building is done, he is done with acting and writing and all that stuff. He's going to retire. I get he's old as hell. That is sad. He's old as hell, but he's still so good. Yeah. The fact that he can he's do so some this good so in his seventies. Steve Martin, I've always loved him. So that is, I am sad. I, I do want to watch it because I love the concept of the show. This concept's great. Uh, All three leads are fantastic. And Steve Martin in his 70s, had, like the season one finale, has some amazing physical comedy that you would not think a guy his age would be able to do, but he does it well. Capable of it, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I um, love that guy. He's in my, my favorite comedy of all time. And some stuff isn't aged well, but I still love it, is The Jerk. I haven't seen The Jerk since I was a kid. Oh, like my dad's a big Steve Martin fan. It's um, so good. I, I Because he also played banjo. Like, yeah. That, that crosses over into my dad's other love of like folk music. <laughs> Steve Martin's a really good banjo player. Yeah. He does it on his stand-up albums. He does some banjo. I've listened to three oh, stand-up good. albums. I've watched as many of his movies as I could find. He's one of my comedy heroes. I was hoping, like, in my early 20s, I started developing I started developing gray hairs already. I was like, oh, I hope I go really gray really fast so I have a Steve Martin look. Slow down. Steve Martin-esque. Now I'm getting to the point where yeah, if I go I mean, gray, it's not going to work. But I, I wanted to be Steve Martin. Yeah, Steve Martin. He's fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for him that he kind of gets to go out on his own terms. No. Too. Nope. I, I, okay, I'm sorry. You're right. But he can never stop working. Also, uh, I don't care if he's happy or no. not. Dance for me, dance for me, monkey. That's what I say. Dance for me, monkey. I mean, that's like it's sort of my perspective on Harrison Ford. I'm just like, I want him to retire. I'm like, sir, just go play on your ranch. Just well, see, I get that. Making him drag you out of the closet. I get that for like Harrison Ford because uh, although he's very talented, I feel like his best days are behind him and he's not really into it anymore. Steve Martin just did his own best work in his life and now he's like, I'm going to retire. That's fair. Yeah. But I mean, hey, that's, that's the concept of going out on top, right? I don't care. Instead of like, instead of, well, 
Well, can you imagine like if his last movie was terrible and then he died? And he you know made I mean? like, he made some bad movies. He made a lot of bad right. movies. Yeah, I get that. Well, can I don't you imagine care. That the last thing he does is like some some garbage, and he gets to go out and like some of his best work instead? Like there's, there's something to that. He might have something good after Only Murders in the Building. You don't know. True, I'm really, I'm willing to risk I, it. You know what? This is <laughs> this is a journey I'm willing to take. Yeah, I'm willing to risk life and limb for it. All right, so that has been entertainment news. So the last segment, uh, I'm not sure if you've done your homework or not, I asked you to think of three TV shows that were canceled or ended that you would like to bring back. Uh, do, okay. you have, do you have a, a list of three? or? So uh, I said I, 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 like two and a half. Okay, so um, I'm going to be honest. I, want... I guess it's like 1.75. Okay, I'm going to say right here... Uh, I picked this because of a conversation we had in the past, and I want to see if I can guess one that's on your list. It's the whole reason I picked this. Well, I feel like you're the only person I've ever talked to that remembered Freaky Link. Yes! That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That show I love, uh, and that is on my list. Okay. Uh, that, I feel like that show died too young. Yes. Um, that it was a victim of fuck bullshit. Um and we never got to find out, like, a whole bunch of stuff, like, about his twin brother or, like, his his brother's, his dead brother's wife for, and all this stuff. We never found out what happened. For those of uh, those people who have, do have no idea what Freaky Links is, which is everybody, what is Freaky Links? Freaky Links was so good. Because it was kind of like, uh, they tried to do kind of like in X-Files, but it was more like... Um, it was supernatural before supernatural was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only one season. It was 13 episodes uh, from looking here. And then, oh, it was a David S. Goyer show. Like, <laughs> it was also made yeah, by the Blair Witch like, people, I think. Or that's uh, why they had all the, they yeah. had all the video stuff. Yeah, that was kind of the Blair, it was kind of like a Blair Witch sort of scenario where he was like, um, yeah, they, they had a website called FreakyLinks.com. Yeah. And it would basically be, it was like a monster of the week kind of thing where yeah. they would be given, like, people would email them or whatever, like, these freaky urban legends, and they would go investigate. Yeah, X-Files is the best plot. description for that, yeah, because there's, there's the, the monster of the week, and then they also have the mythology episodes. Right. Then there's also, like, the um, the overarching storyline of his twin brother died mysteriously, and he's been trying to figure out what happened to him. And he thinks it's due to, like, some kind of freaky supernatural thing. Um, but we never, because the show ended too soon, we never found out what actually happened to each other. I love it. I knew you were, so, I was hoping you were going to so say mad. that one. Awesome. Freaky Links is, what, is like my white whale. Like, it was, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I, nobody else fucking remembers this show. Um, and my, like, my point five answer. Oh, let me, we'll go, go back and forth. Uh, cause I want, I have my own list too. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So my number three is the show dead to me. Did you ever see that show? Yes. Okay, so for those of you who I, don't I've know... I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. Like, I know of it. I could have chosen... There's three Brian Fuller shows that... Brian Fuller has, a, has the ability to create great shows that end too soon. I could have chosen any... I could have chosen Hannibal. I could have chosen uh, Pushing Daisies. I chose Dead to Me because that was my oh, first one of his shows. I've heard Pushing Daisies is one of those, like, it needed to last longer shows. It was a great show. Brian Fuller makes good TV. Uh, but uh, Dead to Me is basically this girl dies, and instead of just going to heaven or whatnot, she is forced to become a Grim Reaper. 
And what happens to that, you actually have to live in her world. You look different to everybody else. Like she could see her family, but they'll see someone else there. And you're given the job of you have to kill people with your touch or bad things happen. Basically, if you do not do your job, the world's going to get fucked up. So you're forced to go through with this. And she hangs out with other Grim Reapers while she's working a minimum wage job to get through her days. She still has to work like a regular person and also take people out. It's so much fun. See, I love I love that kind of stuff because the other thing that I write is like urban fantasy about a medium mm-hmm. who works with who works with Lady Death. Like that's his like he's that kind of concept. So any kind of take on that, I love. Like that I've and always been fascinated with that that kind of setup and dynamic. There's basically once you do it long enough, you'll be taken and someone else will take your place. And Mandy Patinkin, uh, who played Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride, was like the longest Reaper there. And his character had this backstory and he never got all the information that you wanted because the show got canceled. And I was like, I want that oh. back. It was such a good show. But really, if you see Brian Fuller attached to something, watch it. All right, what's your other Fair one? Enough. So my half answer is kind of ties back to something we talked about earlier. Uh, because I feel like the, the whenever someone asks this question, the answer is always Firefly, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody always says that. Yeah. It was, it's the prime example of uh, a show that was victimized by Fox. Yes. Um, but I would say yes to bring it back, but if Joss wasn't involved. <laughs> yeah. See, I had a Joss uh, show. I would not want him. I had a Joss show, so well, I took off my list because of him. But like, also, I was a big fan of Dollhouse, and so I get that. Okay. That's that's one of those like yeah that would have been great to see more of, but I don't want him getting work. I don't want him getting work. And it's just like it's like even and if you if you had different people on top of it, he'd still get money. So it hurts you no matter what. Yeah, it hurts. Because I really enjoy, I, I my brother was real big on it, so I was kind of like I wasn't. I watched it with him. Mm-hmm. He was more into it than I was, but I like I remember enjoying it and thinking like oh that was dumb and just ended it. Yeah. Uh, that's like my half answer like bring it back but only if the actual show creator doesn't come back with it if, if Joss Whedon dies let's bring it back that way that way he doesn't get any money okay uh, so here's my second one now this show sadly was taken for its time it only ran for eight seasons and that is <laughs> that is House MD now House I loved House. It was, it was one of those shows at 22 episodes a season, it, and it had very repetitive episodes. It's basically like this crazy illness. Only one guy can solve it. It's all based on Sherlock Holmes, and you know, if it was a medical drama, instead of a detective thing. But yeah. somehow they made it interesting, even though it was very repetitive. I never got bored with it throughout the entire eight-season run. And it ended on a weird note, very Sherlock Holmes, is that Everyone thinks that House is dead now. At the end of the th- of the show, he fakes his death because his friend Wilson is going has oh, cancer. Oh, then he like a Reichenbach falls with yeah. it. Yeah. How House <laughs> friend has cancer. He's House is going to go to prison, so he fakes his death so he and Wilson can travel the world before Wilson dies and basically spend time together. It's a very nice ending. Very I want Sherlock Holmes. I want House to come back, but be on the run from the law, pretending to be somebody else in another facility, and. Fighting to not show that he's that same guy, but gets keeps on like finding himself get kicked into the scenarios where he is solving these medical mysteries, but not let his reputation get known. That's what I want. Also, Wilson somehow alive. I don't oh. know. How. 
bring Wilson having back. that like sort of Damocles hanging over him the whole time mm-hmm. of like, oh, I'm a fugitive on the law. Like I'm on the run. If they find out that I'm alive, I'm fucked. Yeah. He he, um, he has he has, he has a, him. Yeah, he has illegal material. He has like a fake uh, medical degree. He's in like a small town kind of thing where they're not gonna check everything uh-huh. like they probably fucking should. And he's hiding out. Or in like Kansas. Yeah. Like, or like some twin, uh, not twin beats, um, what's the show? Um, Northern Exposure. Yeah. Like all the way up in Alaska. <laughs> but somehow he's still getting crazy medical mysteries coming his way because that's how the show mm-hmm. works. It's not going to be believable. Yeah, Alaska's wild. It's not going to be believable. Well, start, I don't care. I want house back. The problem, the problem that ends up coming up in that, in which you would explore on the show, is that he would start to develop a reputation. And yes. people would like, oh, there's this guy up in Alaska who like, solves these crazy medical mysteries like and they like helicopter about yeah like the, the more exposure he gets from the outside world the more at risk he is of being caught exactly i think it would only be able to go for one more season but i'll take that season i like a final like a final final house season where he's just like a, a small town doctor solving these crazy like alaskan mysteries i love mm-hmm. it all right <laughs> i really love it do you have any do you have any so, other idea for a show I do, I do, and it's sort of in the same vein as yours. Like it was, you know, poor show only lasted a, you know, a seven seasons. Oh, that's but mine too is kind soon. of a mine is kind of a, a different twist on it. You want to see like a continuation of a show. Yes, I want to see more backstory of the show. Okay, and it's kind of interesting that we're doing this on the night that House of the Dragon premiered. Okay. Because first of all, what you got to know about me is that I am the biggest goddamn Targaryen nerd that you know in Game of Thrones. So you're excited about this show? I I am because okay. the the actual story of the Dance of the Dragons. Uh, spoiler alert: This is where like like ninety percent of the dragons die. Mm-hmm. This is why a lot of them are gone because there was a Targaryen civil war. Okay. They all like took each other out. That's the basic premise of the show. So I don't know. If, I haven't really been watching the trailers for it. I've been wanting to like reserve it for myself to see it because I'm really excited. Okay. Uh, but I don't know if they've been portraying it as like it's a Targaryen civil war. There's two people who have a legitimate claim to the throne, um, the two factions after the king dies, and it's it's them like basically fighting it out until uh, there's a victor crowned. Um, but the cost is that like <laughs> uh, all the dragons are gonna die. Okay. Uh, that's why there's pretty much nothing left by the time you get to. That's why they're all gone. Yeah. Because. They, because of this show, of the House of the Dragon, okay. is the Dance of the Dragon. I'm still going to um, wait to hear what people say about it, because I didn't feel like I needed another Game of Thrones. Not that, um, I, not that I hated so, it. I didn't hate it like everyone else did. But I just felt I, I got enough. Uh, because I, because for me, it's very specifically targeted at me, because the Targaryen like, history and lore. If uh-huh. you were going to, you know those uh, PowerPoint presentation parties people do, where they like take in where you make a PowerPoint about like the thing you're really passionate about and you want to teach people about. I've never seen this, but okay, go on. It's like it's like a it's like a party kind of style, like for a birthday party or whatever. And okay. So you would like have your friends make a PowerPoint and then you would do a PowerPoint presentation. Usually they're kind of drunk when they do it, so it's okay. like almost like a drunk history kind of thing. Okay. I would do it on the history of the of House Targaryen. Okay. Or and or specifically, and this is the backstory I want to see. I want to see them do like a mini series or a show on Robert's Rebellion, the thing that caused everything. Oh, okay. Um, because there's stuff that they still haven't even explained in the books that happened during Robert's Rebellion that I want to see. That 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 is very specifically me targeted. <laughs> there, 
it's very like it, it, the, the the fan base wants to see it right they want to see what happened in that because there are still some mysteries the show kind of cleared up some mysteries but they also didn't really answer a whole lot either like what the, the ultimate fate of Leona Stark and that's what I want to see I want to I want to show that's focused on is Robert's Rebellion but it is centered around Leona Stark and what happened to her okay because it was um there was the whole thing of like Ned's sister got kidnapped by Rhaegar Targaryen, and like that's what started the whole war in the first place. But that'd be my my PowerPoint presentation would be like Leona Stark willingly ran away with Rhaegar Targaryen. Like that's the whole story. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to see, the, and it would be it wouldn't be a lot of different POVs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there probably will have to be to get the whole story. But I, it, it would be like a a central romance story. Okay. Uh, it's kind of a complicated story because like Daenerys's older brother Rhaegar is also like he's one of those characters that history kind of fucks over, right? Because he didn't live to tell his side of the story. Like history got to paint him however. It okay. Was. And it was Robert who got to paint the history, and it was like Rhaegar like kidnapped and raped her, and, like did all this stuff. Like no, 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 that's. George is pretty heavily implied in this, but and the show also showed too, like, oh, she willingly married the guy. Like, she did not. She there was no kidnapping involved here, mm-hmm. and I want, I want to see that. Okay, I want to see that story. No, that's and there's a lot of cool like storylines. Like Rhaegar was trying to. It's very heavily implied too that Rhaegar was trying to overthrow his dad, the Mad King, but it kind of gets fucked, muddled. It gets muddled, and then we get the rebellion. Okay. No, it sounds. It sounds. It'd probably be good. Again, I'm burnt out, but it would probably be a good show. Totally fair, and uh, that's what I would want. Like you said, the continuation. I'm like, it's just kind of a continuation, but it isn't. It's more like filling in the gap. Yeah, yours is more of a um, spinoff than a than a than a continuation. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, and you get to see more like young Ned uh, doing all this stuff, and like you get to see Ned and Robert at their prime. Like, the only thing I would have a problem with with a thing like yeah. that is that part of Game of Thrones is anyone could die anytime. When you have you when you have yeah, things you like know. that, there's plot armor yeah. that gets put in. Same thing that I had a problem with like with the Obi Wan series. I enjoyed it, but like there were scenarios where Obi Wan should have fucking died, but because you know he doesn't, he just no, survives. He That's like your flashback problem in video games. Like no, no, uh, you, this character can't die because yeah. they're alive later. Yeah, exactly. So it messes that up. But I, it's still, I still think that would be good. It just would be one of those Game of Thrones tropes, that's all. All right. Yeah, it, you would have to focus on something else. As, as it, it kind of would subvert the trope a little bit of yeah. like, oh, we're introducing this char- these characters. We know Lyanna dies. We know Rhaegar dies. We know, like, all these people die. Uh, we know that Jamie's going to survive this. Like, we know all this. It'd be more about making yeah. you care but- that these people die. Right, and you would get to find out what happened to Oberyn's sister, and you'd be like, oh, that's why Oberyn was so fucking pissed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the show kind of gets into it, and you only hear his recounting of it, but to, to see it, it's pretty brutal what happens to his sister. <laughs> All right. I don't want to say it, it's brutal, but <laughs> yeah. I'm going to move on to something a little less brutal. Uh, so for my final one, uh, did you ever see the FX show The Riches? Mm-mm. Okay. So let me give you this cast. It's Eddie Izzard, it's Minnie Driver, Noel Fisher, and Margot Martindale. Beloved character actress, Margot wow. Martindale. It was bit, it was it only last for two. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Bojack. <laughs> yeah. So 
the uh, the only reason the show got canceled was because of the writer's strike. And what it was, oh god, it was about a family of travelers. Uh, they're also known as gypsies, but they prefer the term travelers. That they're con artists. They go around and they trick people into losing their money and stuff like that. And they're very good at that kind of thing. While they're on the road one day, they accidentally get in a car accident with a family in this huge RV moving van thing, and they die. The family dies. And they realize, they go to the house, just they're moving to another house. They find their address, they go over there, and at first they're like, we're just going to steal all their stuff. But then they're like, what if we took over their lives? No one knows them here. We could take over their lives. People are super oh. rich, take their jobs. So Eddie Izzard becomes a lawyer, which is fucking insane. He's, he's making up being a lawyer on the fly. Yeah, all these kids getting put into schools right. and everything, and just trying to steal these people's lives. Meanwhile, their old life is catching up to them over there. They're hiding who they are from everybody else in the land and not in, in the in the rich neighborhood. And it's like super stressful, but funny at the same time. And it was just so intense and so perfect. It was one of my favorite shows of all time. And it ends mid-storyline because of the writer's strike of 2008. Mm-hmm. And I still think about it to this That's day. That's funny thing. That's a funny thing. It's it's that other it's like your other concept of the house thing. There's always this risk of they're going to get caught. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to be found out and get caught, and that's the end of it. Like those are the stakes that live throughout the entire show or season. Or yeah, that's and, great. Because every episode you're just like he's throwing Eddie Izzard's given something. I think it's a she now. I think she prefers she, but she played a man in the show, and she's given right. like the scenario of, okay, do this basic lawyer thing. And she didn't go to law school. She doesn't know how to do this stuff. And, and you're like, <laughs> how does she hold this together? And she, meanwhile, Margot Martindale is kind of like the nosy neighbor who starts off kind of like antagonistic. And then as the show goes on, becomes more and more friendly with them. But you have the nosy neighbor. You have a guy that wants to kill them, that's looking for them from their old life. And all these things just kind of going all hitting the head. It's so good. Even if you don't get to finish the show, I say look up The Riches and watch it. It's a perfect show. I mean, this had, the, the concept sounds incredible, so I'm I'm interested. Like, I have so like uh, it's funny. Like, how many of the shows you said they're like, have you seen this? Nope. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? Nope. I'm so far behind on TV. That's all right. And this show's from more than ten years ago, so that's fine. All right. Well, uh, I, I want to. I have such a backlog of shows I need to watch and want to, but just. Uh... I know real life really <laughs> interrupts our our TV viewing. All right, well, Lisa. Yeah, and then this past year has really made me like not want to watch scripted television. Okay. Um, it's just a side effect of like my personal life is like for some reason I could I had a really hard time watching scripted TV and I'm really now getting back into it. Like I caught up on Moon Knight, I caught up on Stranger Things and The Boys all in like one month. All right, those are because two or three of those are great shows. Yeah, I mean, yeah, talked about it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, of course. I've been wanting to have you on for years. Uh, not for yeah, basically since the beginning of the podcast. You're one of my favorite. You're a great person, and you have interesting things to say. Uh, definitely going to have you on, no matter where you're living. I don't know what's going on with yeah. you right now. We're going to have you on again when Fantastic Four comes out because we didn't. We only talked about it a little bit here, but that's your thing. We mm-hmm. bonded. You got me into that's the Fantastic thing. Four. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so very I, I appreciate and it and hate it. <laughs> uh, so that's it. Right now, it's scheduled to be my birthday weekend, 2024. Okay. So well, before that happens, like, I'll have you on for sure. And I might have you on before. 
I might have you on before that too, if I think of another scenario to have you on for, because yeah. I love this this show. It was a lot of fun, and I thank you for doing that. Is there anything you want to put out there before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I this stuff I am working on, I can't really talk about. Um, <laughs> there's uh, working with uh, our friend Casey on Real Life. There's stuff that I okay. can talk about that I'm working on, but yes, keep an eye out for future things. And then as my writing picks up, I'll obviously I'll try to pimp that out and I'll come back on. And awesome, yeah, I don't really have anything at the moment. I'm just trying to uh, kind of get my life in a <laughs> in a forward direction is the the goal right now. Sounds good. All right, and thank you all for listening. Please rate and subscribe. I had a few more people rate, but not many people uh, have reviewed. Please review this show. It's uh, The more people review it, the more people go actually listen to it because you see a show without reviews, I'm not going to watch it or listen to it. Yeah. Uh, and that's been it for the show. And remember, when you want your entertainment news two weeks late, listen to Unlicensed Entertainment. Mm-hmm.